African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the rights to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. stories this hour. Sudan deports hundreds of Eritreans back to the hardline government they fled, contravening international law. South Africa's Deputy President Soro Ramaphosa raises concerns about the recent violent disruptions of proceedings in Parliament. And finally, Somalian Al-Shabaab militants kills two soldiers in the country's semi-autonomous region of Putland on Tuesday in a bomb attack. Good morning, I'm Jolani Tulo. Sudan has deported hundreds of Eritreans back to the hardline government they fled, contravening international law. Sudan is a key transit country for refugees hoping to reach Europe, and many of these sent back to Eritrea were arrested as they tried to cross from Sudan to Libya. According to the United Nations, around 5,000 Eritreans risk their lives every month to flee the country. The deportations by Khartoum of at least 442 Eritreans, including six UN-registered refugees this month, comes as the European Union tries to work with Sudan to manage the tens of thousands hoping to cross the Mediterranean, the Mediterranean. There was no immediate response from authorities in both countries. Kenya is to send Somali refugees in the world's largest camp back to their war-torn country or Third Nations by November. The Dabab camp on the Kenya-Somali border hosts at least 350,000 refugees. Kenya announced earlier last month it would shut down the camp set up to investigate how and would set up, rather, to investigate how to achieve that. Charities and the UN, the UN have voiced dismay at the closure plan, while rights groups have warned that forcibly repatriating refugees would break international law. At least 10 people have been killed during protests by the pro-Biafra campaigners as they marked the anniversary of the start of Nigeria's civil war on Monday. Activists wanting a separate state for the Igbo people in the southeast were commemorating the 49th anniversary of the declaration of an independent republic of Biafra on May 30, 1967. The civil war left more than one million people dead. Police said officers opened fire because members Members of the indigenous people of Biafra movement shot at security forces deployed to monitor the the protests. 
South Africa's Deputy President Cyril Ramaphosa has raised concerns about the recent violent disruptions of proceedings in Parliament. Ramaphosa says the disruptions in the Fifth Democratic Parliament effectively denied the free expression of others and efforts to prevent President Jacob Zuma from addressing the House. Presidency spokesperson Ronima Moebasi's cabinet welcomes the majority of MPs who respect the rules. Proceedings have been disrupted on a number of occasions in a manner that undermines the proper functioning of parliament. Of particular concern is the violent nature of some of these disruptions. Refusal to adhere to the rules of the assembly undermines the integrity of the institution and demonstrates disdain for the will of the people. The efforts of a small minority of MPs to impose through force and intimidation their will on parliament reflects a contempt for the principles of democracy. And finally, Somalian al-Shabaab militants have killed two soldiers in the country's semi-autonomous region of Putland on Tuesday in a bomb attack. Al-Shabaab took responsibility for the assault but cited a higher toll. Al-Shabaab, which seeks to impose Sharia law, Sharia law in Somalia, has been pushed from its southern strongholds by a, serious, a series rather, of offences by the African Union force and the Somali National Army. Officials, however, say the group remains resilient and is capable of mounting attacks on both civilian and military targets. Recapping the top stories this hour, Sudan deports hundreds of Eritreans back to the hardline government they fled, contravening international law. South Africa's Deputy President Cyril Ramaphosa remains concerned about the recent violent disruptions of proceedings in Parliament. And finally, Somalian al-Shabaab militants kills two soldiers in the country's semi-autonomous region of Putland on Tuesday in a bomb attack. Well, that's all for me for today. For Channel Africa, I'm Jolani Tulo. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. My name is Sipa Hot Sticks Mabuse, a South African musician and an African artist for that matter. You are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Pambi. My name is Yvonne Chaka Chaka from South Africa, but Africa is my home. You're listening to Channel Africa. The voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Habida, an African artist from Kenya. And you're listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. 
Well, today we're going to be looking at uh, the infrastructure on the continent and we're previewing the 5th Infrastructure Africa Business Forum and it will be held in South Africa. The forum will involve delegates from government, the infrastructure and industry and the developmental agencies to discuss how uh, you know Africa can accelerate the business of infrastructure on the continent. And uh, joining us in studio, we've got Duncan Bonnet, who is joining us from uh, Africa House. He's the director. Uh, Duncan Bonnet is a part at the specialist Africa-focused consulting firm Africa House. He's also got a lot of experience in terms of tutoring in the International Relations Department at the Wits University in South Africa, specializing in African integration and growth strategies. And also on the line, we've got Nigel Gwyn-Evans, who's joining us. He's the chief director of the African Industrial Development Department of the Department of Trade and Industry in South Africa. He joined the DTI as Chief Director for African Industrial Development and spent most of his career in the Western Cape Department of Economic Development and Westgrow and was very instrumental in the establishment of a wide range of not-for-profit cluster bodies as well as developing a comprehensive program of support for these entities. But I want to start this conversation with you, Duncan. Thank you for joining us on our program. Morning, Benjamin. Thanks very much. Now, it's fantastic to see that this uh, Fifth Infrastructure Africa Business Forum is actually taking place. But it's the fifth one, Mm. and people would be asking, hey, are people actually buying into the vision of Africa in terms of infrastructure in its development? Because that seems to be something that's not accelerating as fast as the international world and investors want to see. Seems like we still have to do a lot of things to accelerate that program. Yeah, I, th- I think so. Um, I, I think that you should perhaps look at it as an, an evolution of infrastructure rather than a revolution. Mm. Um, there, there, there are a number of reasons perhaps why uh, people are frustrated with the pace of, of infrastructure development, but it also varies from country to country and region to region. Uh, as to how quickly infrastructure is developing in in Africa, um, and and I think it's if if you if you look a little bit deeper, mm-hmm. um, you'll see that there is uh, a good deal of infrastructure development taking place, albeit against mm-hmm. a background of of a very large deficit. Mm. So tell me a little bit about Africa House. What do you specialize in as that organization so our listeners understand the kind of work you get into? Right. At Africa House, we're a a, a boutique consulting company. We uh, work specifically in sub-Saharan Africa, so we don't look at the five um, North African Mediterranean countries. But uh, and what our our work entails is assisting companies that are looking to develop their businesses in sub-Saharan Africa, mm. whether it's South African companies, international companies that see the opportunity that's that's there for them, mm. um, and we assist them with their market entry strategies and identifying partners across the the, the, the continent, so mm. that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, let's also bring in Nigel into the conversation. Nigel, thank you for giving us your time. Yes, good morning, listeners. Morning, Benjamin Duncan. Fantastic. Now, looking at this whole concept of Africa infrastructure, what are your thoughts in terms of actually meeting the gaps that we are currently seeing on the continent? And I'm also interested of why South Africa has the African Industrial Development Department within its own Department of Trade Industry. Right. Look, I think from a from a from a South African government perspective, we realise that. Uh, Africa is our future. It's recently, uh, about a year ago, uh, Africa has now become our largest trading partner out of out of uh, all out of Europe. Uh, it overshadows Europe and China now. 
So Africa is where the future is. And uh, the concern that we, we have on one level, we are, our trade balance with the rest of the continent is very significant. We export considerably more than we, we import, which is uh, it's good for us. But uh, there are a lot of concerns, and I think this is where uh, the sort of sense that uh, we are using Africa as a bit of a dumping ground for our product comes in. We're not that popular in many, many areas across the continent from a sort of political, uh, bilateral, multilateral political status because we've seen, we're seen as the big, uh, big cheese on the block. Uh, I think that is a concern from from the DTI's perspective, we focus very much on both supporting exports, but trying to then move to supporting industrial capacity across the con- uh, across the continent. Mm, we'll come back that, to sure, sure. That industrial capacity is absolutely contingent on infrastructure. Mm. So that's really our interest. And without that uh, infrastructure, particularly in terms of power, mm. in terms of uh, road rail connections. Africa is not going to be able to industrialize be the, and, and rise as it, as it should be. Now, let's look at really what's happening on the ground. And, and when we talk about a lot of these issues here on our program, and we speak about trade and we speak about issues of uh, integration within the continent, there's a huge emphasis from more, many of our speakers that say there's really a backlog in terms of our infrastructure. How bad is it? Are, are we in a bad space, Duncan? Yes, I, I think if you look at it compared to other parts of the world, we certainly mm-hmm. are. Um, intra-African uh, logistics costs are about 40% higher than those in Asia. Um, so that's just one one measure. Uh, access to electricity is a lot lower than in, in most other parts of the world. And, and this has a very direct impact. Um, for instance, if you, if you look in the eastern uh, part of the Congo, the eastern DRC, the repair of road infrastructure has seen the cost of goods uh, traded in that part of, of, of uh, the DRC drop from about $1.50 per kilo to about $0.25 cents per kilo in terms of transport costs. Now that obviously, particularly for, for entry-level consumers, for, for people in, in impoverished parts of the continent, is really important when you drop those costs. The cost of basic building materials like cement um, drops dramatically when you improve road and rail access into regions. So, so that at one level is, is really important and the deficit um, is, is uh, still quite dramatic in, in parts of the continent. At the other level, as Nigel alluded to, um, the power deficit, you really can't do much without power. Uh, and that particularly for rural Africans, and I think this is important to understand that rural farmers will never really be able to escape the poverty trap until they have access to things like cold storage facilities, which are dependent on power. Um, access to markets depends on that. So the the, the deficit of those um, linkages, whether it's power, whether it's roads, whether it's rail, and then the port infrastructures to export into the broader world um, really is, is, is quite a, a major deficit. Where the figures you can look at anything between mm. 50 and $90 billion wow. a year, mm. um, depending on whose, whose <laughs> figures you use. But that's, that's roughly where it is. Mm. Your thoughts about this deficit, um, Nigel? Absolutely. No, I mean, I'm in, I'm in full agreement with what uh, Duncan mentioned. And just a few numbers. Uh, Nigeria, for example, we're doing quite a bit of work with the Nigerian auto industry, trying to help uh, and, and work with them. Um, in Nigeria, they have 
around 5,000 megawatts for around 170 million people. And uh, it's, it is just exceptionally difficult to, to get development going. So I think power is a major focus. Um, and uh, I think the exciting thing on the power side is that there's uh, starting to be more movement around uh, not just some of the big, large projects like Inga. There's a lot of talk, which has been, you know, people have been talking about Inga for uh, probably 20, 30 years. Uh, it does seem to be moving ahead now. But I think the really exciting part is that there, there's a lot, a lot more focus now. And a bit like we did here with our uh, renewable in- energy uh, program, trying to get smaller distributed systems going. So I think, as Duncan said, there are now a lot more options mm. in terms of biogas, solar, um, wind. There, there's a huge wind project up in Kenya, probably the biggest, one of the biggest wind projects in the world now. Um, and these projects can move often a lot quicker than the big uh, mega projects, uh, such as Inga or big hydro projects uh, or coal projects. Mm. I think the other area that's particularly exciting is around the gas infrastructure. We launched our, our gas industrialization project last week, and uh, we see a lot of opportunities uh, across the continent there. Mm. So, sure, I fully agree uh, with, with Duncan's sentiments. I think it's a very mixed bag, but generally there's a, there's a long way to go. Well, we're going to take a quick break, but we're going to bring back the question to you, our listener. What is your thoughts around the backlog when it comes to our infrastructure on the continent? How can we turn things around? What are your thoughts? Give us your thoughts by SMSing us on plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero, or you can tweet us at African Dialogue. That's at African Dialogue. Hey, we also want to uh, thank you to those who are listening to us from the USA. Remember, you can listen to us from the USA by calling us in at six zero five four. 475-1711 that's 605-475-1711 at no extra cost hey we want to take a quick break and then we'll come back to this discussion because we want to take this conversation further to look at financing because that seems to be where the issue is in accelerating the infrastructure uh, development on the continent hey remember we want to hear your thoughts join us on our twitter handle at african dialogue hey this is a build up to tomorrow it's africa day we'll be broadcasting outside in yoville tomorrow where we'll be actually bringing in the community. We know it's one of the most cosmopolitan spaces of Johannesburg. So we'll be right there speaking to Africans themselves about what does it mean to be an African. But today we're speaking about African infrastructure. Hey, let's take a quick break. We'll be back. You are listening to Africa at Play on Channel Africa. This show brings you holistic coverage of African and global sports stories. We bring you up close and personal with major role players and newsmakers. Any uh, tampering with the criteria now will have to be after 2016. It is has been such an amazing year. Um, last year was last year. I think even took us by surprise. We exceeded all of our own expectations. For all sports lovers of this country, including soccer or football. We should ensure that we elect people whom you can trust. People who have integrity, people who can be accountable, and people who can be trusted with resources, whether it's from government or from the private sector. That is the way forward. That is how we should be able to move. Drama is at the heart of the show. Generally, they thought that maybe I wasn't the right one to take forward for the next couple of games. They were nervous about the game coming up. Um, I've given an ultimatum to do certain things or choose to resign and I chose to resign. We push the boundaries of the story. 
boy from Mangori, of humble beginnings, raised in Tonga and New Zealand, left his huge footprint around the world. Officially, we salute All Black number 941. But to the world, you will be known as the All Black who made number 11 his own. Rest in peace, my friend. Africa Replay, your number one sports show on the African continent, only on Channel Africa at 1700 hours Central African time on Friday, Saturday and Sunday. Africa Replay, sports at its best. You're listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. You're with me, Benjamin Moshatama, every day from Monday to Thursday at 11 o'clock Central African time. And today we're speaking about African infrastructure and we're previewing the fifth Infrastructure Africa Business Forum and we're looking at the issue, what is happening to Africa's infrastructure deadlock. And joining us in studio, we have uh, the director of Africa House, which is an Africa-focused consulting firm, uh, Duncan Bonnet, who's joining us in studio. Also on the line we've got Nigel Gwyn Evans who is the chief director of the African Industrial Development Department uh, in South Africa's Department of Trade and Industry. Let me start from you Nigel in this part of the conversation. Let's start with financing. Uh, it seems that the big challenge in accelerating the various regional infrastructure projects especially those under NAPED and the un, under the African Union's 2063 agenda seems to be financing these projects and I know in various events that I attended last year, which were attended by the African Union Chair Commission, Kosazana Dlamini Zuma, she was highlighting the issue of financing and also financing within uh, Africa itself, having African finances. Why is this such a big challenge for the continent? Sure. Look, I think I, I fully agree. I mean, it is, a, it is a major issue. Perhaps just to start off with, I think one of the key issues is around uh, the, the, what they call the project preparation side and uh, or, or the, the pre-feasibility, feasibility work to get projects through to bankability. So that, that appears to be uh, just the risk for uh, getting projects up to a level uh, in terms of the planning where they can be bankable or where the private sector or, the, or uh, government donors comes in is, is, a, is a significant hurdle. And I think what you're starting to see now is much more focus on, on the, let's say, this project preparation work. Uh, and certainly our DBSA is involved. Uh, you uh, mentioned Africa 50 uh, in, your, in your email to me, uh, which is a, an initiative by the African Development Bank to, to get better coordination between the, the donors and between the, the big funders of these, uh, these projects. So uh, I think um, these are these are many of the, uh, the the issues that they're grappling with. So I would say, and Duncan can fill in more, but I think on the project preparation side, mm. that's absolutely key. Trying to get the uh, the private sector in and structure deals where the private sector can come in, and then I think also just in terms of coordination at a at a large at a Africa scale is is fundamental. And NEPAD and others, the AU, are really working to try and get better coordination. But uh, obviously, often there are political challenges behind this, uh, and uh, uh, these these tend to to hold back the, the nuts and bolts of moving these projects forward. Duncan, your thoughts? 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I think Nigel's quite correct. I think there's uh, – with, within – if you look at, at some of the larger projects on the continent, um, you know, the, the old saying about eating a, an elephant one bite at a time. Because if, if you look particularly at, at regional projects, quite often a, a different governments have different priorities in terms of their projects, which will mean that a regional program um, takes less priority in one country over another. And it's trying to get uh, all the, the players in the process to, to act in concert, to act in unison, to, to move forward at the same pace, that um, you don't get one government prioritizing a, a certain project over another. And that's very difficult to achieve because obviously governments have, have domestic uh, responsibilities to their own electorates, to their own people. And if one project is seen as being more important than another, that might take precedence and then it may delay a broader regional initiative. So I think that that, that is a, a, a major issue. Uh, in terms of, of the project preparation phase, there is a lot more, as Nigel said, there's a lot more emphasis being placed on this now um, to try and make projects bankable. Um, and I, I think the, the underlying rationale for, for many of the projects uh, in the infrastructure space is becoming a lot more bankable. But one of the, the things in the last couple of years that's, that's perhaps um, put a damper on that is the, the, uh, the, the collapse of commodity prices. Um, and if you have less mining activity, less commercial agriculture, less oil and gas, it perhaps lessens the demand for some of that major infrastructure and the ancillary infrastructure that flows around it. So, so those, are th- those are problems um, just, just in terms of the coordination of, of major infrastructure developments on the continent. Mm. Staying on that, uh, while we were off air, you were speaking about something that also keeps coming up when we have these uh, t- uh, conversations is the issue of regulation and how that also can hamper a project actually kicking off or starting off or actually getting that investment. Yeah, and I think this is, again, something that um, perhaps belatedly is being addressed. Um, and we see it in many countries across the continent where if the regulatory environment does not allow for infrastructure to be developed, for instance, with renewable energy, it's, it's very popular to have independent power producers coming into the, into the continent, um, coming up with wind or, or hydropower or whatever it happens to be, um, solar power. But if the regulatory environment in the country does not allow for that independent power producer or you don't have an independent um, regulator to determine pricing, it makes it very difficult to make that a bankable project uh, if you don't have an agreed offtake agreement over 15 or 20 years to give the project promoters that certainty that they will get their money back. Um, then it, it makes it very difficult to to justify to the money men why you would want to to go in. And and I think that is also seen against the background of particularly with social infrastructure and power is very much a social we, we see it in South Africa with the, as the cost of electricity goes up how it has an impact on households um, it, it becomes a very political issue can you charge um, commercial rates for independent power and that then filters into this whole regulatory debate over who determines pricing of things like that or of toll roads for instance so it, it, it becomes both a regulatory issue, but at, at a different level, it, it moves into the political policy space as well. 
Well, we're going to take a quick break. It's 11.30 Central African time. And uh, we've got Duncan Bonnet in studio. He's the director of Africa House, which is a specialist Africa-focused consulting firm. And on the line, we've got Nigel Gwyn-Evans, who is the chief director, who is part of the African Industrial Development Department within Trade and Industry in South Africa. That's the Department of Trade and Industry in South Africa. We're speaking about uh, accelerating the infrastructure project on the continent of Africa, partnering with the 5th Africa uh, Infrastructure Africa Business Forum. That's the 5th Infrastructure Africa Business Forum that is going to be taking place next month. I'm sure we'll try also be in the action when the conversation takes place uh, when that forum is taking place. It's a two-day event and we're partnering them up, partnering with them rather, to actually accelerate the issue and the topic that is actually sometimes on the peripheries of the main issues that come outside of the media. Hey, let's take quick break we'll be back after this i was built to be the best number one and nothing less lead me to my destiny i have waited patiently you're listening to africa red play on channel africa this show brings you holistic coverage of African and global sports stories. We bring you up close and personal with major role players and newsmakers. We have already said that we cannot play in summer uh, in this heat in, uh, in, uh, in Qatar. Uh, then we have to play in winter. It won't be a tactical match. They're going to be coming fighting as well. The most important thing is that we are playing 11-11 uh, on the pitch. And the most important thing for us to play very well. Drama is at the heart of the show. And I want to repeat that transformation agenda is bottom up. We start from the school level and prepare them for high performance uh, going forward. And that is our approach. We push the boundaries of the story. The accused armed himself, got the gun ready, walked to the bathroom, shot and killed the deceased. <coughs> Not in the spur of the moment. I mean, he had, had lots of time for reflection. We respectfully argue that he cannot escape a conviction on murder. Now you're standing at that door. You're vulnerable. You're anxious. You're trained as an athlete to react to sound. And he stands now with his finger ready to fire if necessary. And he stands there. And then, if I stand behind someone with his finger on that trigger, and he's in a fearful state, I may clap my hands behind him. I'm very happy to make this submission that in some instances a person will fire. And you get to have your say. It's important for me as a South African, a supporter who supports Bafana Bafana, to come to Cape Town and support our boys who are doing well. Sheikh Mashaba, our new coach, he do a, 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 a miracle to put Bafana Bafana to win everything he offers. Bafana Bafana must win. Must win, training, must go forward. Bafana Bafana. Africa Replay, your number one sports show on the African continent, only on Channel Africa at 1700 hours Central African time on Friday, Saturday and Sunday. Africa Replay, sports at its best. For the champions, for the champions, stand up, stand up, stand up. For the champions, for the champions, stand up. For the champions, for the champions, stand up, stand up. 
Well, today we are previewing the fifth Infrastructure Africa Business Forum, which will be taking place in South Africa. It's actually very, very around the corner in the next week or so. Uh, so we're asking the question today, what are we going to do about Africa's infrastructure backlog? Oh, some people say it's a deadlock, actually, because we need to accelerate so many projects. And uh, just on the line, we've got uh, um, Nigel Gwyn Evans, who's joining us as Chief Director at the African Industrial Development from the Department of uh, Trade and Industry in South Africa. Nigel, let me start this part of the conversation with you. In terms of some of those issues of regulation that were highlighted by um, um, Duncan, what are your thoughts around those issues? Sure. Uh, I've just got back from Rwanda, mm. uh, from the World Economic Forum, uh, and a half ago. And I think one of the issues is around this ease of doing business. And certainly Africa generally is towards the bottom of the, the global rankings. And I think it goes, the whole rollout of infrastructure goes along very much with how governments perceive business, how they deal with them, um, how easy they, they make the life of, uh, of, of business people in terms of predictability, in terms of risk. Uh, these are all critical factors in terms of attracting investment, both into business and into infrastructure. And uh, Rwanda's been one of those uh, remarkable success stories where they really have focused on, on being business-friendly. You can open up a, a new business within, I think, around six or seven hours. Uh, they've rolled out broadband. Uh, they've, they've put together incubators. They've really tried, tried to create a, a conducive environment. And uh, they've really started to, to reap the benefits of that. There's a lot more. There's good infrastructure going in. There's power projects on the go, uh, there's new roads. Um, so this is, I think, they're a great example of what, what can be done. Ethiopia is another one at the moment, mm. which is very much the, the talk of town, uh, where they've really gone full out to, to build serious infrastructure in the form of hydropower, roads, rail, light rail across, uh, across their cities, connectors through to ports uh, as the basis for, for future growth. Mm. And uh, these, I think these are they're, they're beacons of, of perhaps hope around what can be done in the, in the region. And I think others like Kenya, Uganda uh, are following, following on in their footsteps. So I think what, what we're seeing is these, these almost leading lights that mm. are, are providing uh, a great example for Africa around what, what can be done uh, if governments are committed if uh, there's good coordination mm. and governments uh, um, uh, uh, um, are able to align what is a very, very complex set of, uh, set of factors. Mm-hmm. Well, Julie, let me bring you in. We've got Julie Cunningham who's just walked into our office. So I'm like, let me bring her into the conversation as well because she's the marketing manager. This is how we coordinated this whole thing with her. She's part of the Infrastructure Africa Organizing Committee and team. Thank you for joining us, Julie. Tell us a little bit more. We've been talking about infrastructure overall and about some of the challenges that we're facing. And uh, both Duncan and Nigel have been doing very well in terms of unpacking some of the dynamics on the ground. But the Fifth Infrastructure Africa Business Forum, why is it so important, especially in this time where we're having these economic challenges and hey the economy is also unstable and uncertain at this time uh, thanks for having me and putting me on the spot i'm <laughs> sorry i'm not geraldine but <laughs> i'll try to add some value to the show sure. um, i'm not an infrastructure expert as you know but our work at cienza uh, we 
have a number of events, um, one of them being Infrastructure Africa, being the biggest infrastructure conference on the continent. And we work with business people, with government, with private sector players, civil society uh, across Africa to connect the dots and connect people so that business can happen and flourish across the continent. And that's what Infrastructure Africa is about. And we've worked very hard to make it a regional event and to focus on uh, regional integration because uh, we as South Africa are not going to grow and or, or um, expand if we don't integrate into the rest of Africa and the same for Africa. And um, yeah, we are working hard to make South Africa not be seen as the big brother who goes into Africa with, you know, no, as a know-it-all <laughs> and, you know, has sure, that sure. bad reputation, but to work alongside uplifting the rest of Africa and therefore we'll uplift ourselves. Mm, so yeah. uh, we're really excited and we're going to continue working with people in the region, with governments as we do and se private sector players to make sure that we can connect the right people to the right mm. projects and see Africans uplifted. Because that's key, isn't it, uh, Duncan, in terms of connecting the dots? Because that's where that, that there's a gap in terms of lifting off these infrastructural programs. But with this issue of the economic instability that we're seeing at this time, do you think people are still going to buy into the potential of Africa? There's a slow growth on the continent all of a sudden. This narrative of a positive growth has almost kind of shifted and changed and we're seeing our commodity demands are not as much as they used to be. So there's a lot of challenges in regards of the economy. Do you st still think people can buy into the potential of Africa? Absolutely. I, 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 think, it's, I think it's critical to, to understand that if you look at the, the, the numbers, the, the, the low growth scenario, that's, that, the bulk of that is when people look at the headline numbers, that Africa's growth this year will be 3%. Mm. That they forget that if you remove South Africa and Nigeria from those numbers, the rest of the region is still going to grow at about 45 or 5%. So there is still a value proposition in that. In terms of joining the dots, as you were saying that, my, my mind was wandering as it, as it does. Um, you, you can drive from Cape Town to Luanda in Angola today. Um, I've, I've done it, most of that road. Um, it's three and a half thousand kilometers, and you can drive that road. And a lot of companies are now doing that. Take that a step further. And the, as the Angolan infrastructure story expands and they repair the roads through into the northeast of the country, you could feasibly send goods from South Africa to Kinshasa in the DR Congo without using maritime transport. You could road the whole lot up. And that yeah, then yeah. starts to, to unlock the value and, and, and integrate our economies a lot better. We're, and and we're, we're seeing a lot more of this um, happening with, um, Nigel mentioned, Grand Inga or Inga 3 earlier. Sure, sure. Um, and, and, and that's the kind of thing, buying power from, from the DRC, bringing it down here, and our trucks are, are going further up. If we could then get the backhaul of trade to, to make it even more feasible, um, it would be a wonderful thing. So I, I think that there there's definitely is still room to be optimistic about it. And I hope it, at, at the Infrastructure Africa event that we, we actually look at some of the success stories sure. around infrastructure development as well. Mm. Nigel, your thoughts there. Are you as optimistic as Duncan? I think so, yes. I think, uh, you know, there's been a, a marked shift over the last decade from uh, a focus on, let's say, the political dynamic 
and uh, political instability, which of course there still is in certain areas, but much more now towards this focus now in, on industrialization, on growth, on, uh, on driving infrastructure and regional integration. And that's a really, really positive shift. And I think it's perhaps a reflection of where we're going. Yes, there's been a bit of a, a blip in the last two or three years with the, with the commodity cycle having downturned, but I think generally there is massive opportunities. Uh, there is a huge underlying impetus for growth. And uh, I think as the infrastructure goes in and is, is developed, and I think it will start, it's a bit of a snowball away. As it starts picking up, it'll move. There's, mm. uh, on the, and I, I've helped on the power side before, but uh, there have just been two initiatives. Uh, I think most listeners, well, many will have heard of the Power Africa, which has been driven by the U.S. Uh, the EU have responded with something called Electrify, with a big capital F-I at the end. Mm. These are big initiatives. <laughs> NEPAD has got big initiatives. Mm. The EU, others uh, at a regional level. These are big coordinating initiatives that are, that are starting to, to get traction. Hmm. So I'm very positive. Well, also, I know that we recently attended FORCAC, which is, was a big kind of forum which took place, which brought a whole lot of attention into the whole China and Africa relationship. And that was seemed like there was a huge development on the side of China to help in terms of the development of Africa's infrastructure. What were your thoughts around that, Nigel, before I ask uh, Duncan as we wrap it up on, on that? Right. Just very quickly, we were, uh, obviously, as the Department of Trade and Industry, mm-hmm. we, inter- we were integrally involved in the, uh, the organization and the, the coordination around FOCAC. Uh, I think what we're starting to see is much more, whereas the Chinese before, I mean, they've, uh, obviously, there are lots of mixed uh, views around, uh, you know, the good and the bad of uh, Chinese investment across the continents. But I think what the, the very positive thing is that they, they, there's much more integration into, into uh, the other efforts and the other the, the multilateral programs mm. that exist. And uh, I think we're going to see much, far better coordination with, uh, with what came out of FOCAC. Mm. Your and, thought, uh, certainly sure. a lot more money, money coming in. It's an exciting time. Your thoughts there, um, Duncan, on, on, on FOCAC itself? Yeah, I think it. I think Nigel's quite right. You know, the the, the more money that that's poured into infrastructure in Africa, the better. Mm-hmm. Um, Chinese companies or consortia traditionally have been able to develop infrastructure a lot quicker than going through the multilaterals. Mm. Um, so if you look at a country like Angola, for instance, you you know if if we were going through the traditional World Bank or African Development Bank project cycles, a lot of those roads and a lot of those power stations wouldn't have been built. Mm. So the infrastructure deficit would have been larger. Mm. Um, you you can question uh, to some degree the the relationship and and the benefit mm. that Africa gets versus what we pay for mm. for Chinese infrastructure investment, but certainly um, it it does open up a lot of other opportunities. Mm. It's not just a question of China builds the infrastructure, everybody else loses. Um, there, there are a lot of ancillary opportunities that get unlocked around that mm. and for the next 20 years in maintaining infrastructure. Mm. Julie, I've got 30 seconds left with you. And just so you let us know, how can people get involved in this? Maybe there's business people listening to different parts of the content say, hey, I want to get involved in this. Or ordinary citizens, maybe they want to follow up what's happening at the business forum itself. How can people get, get linked in with you or linked up? And how do people get involved? 
They can go to the website www.infrastructure-africa.com and register on the website. Uh, there is a prize for delegates, for media members that are covering uh, the event. We do have media passes, but they are limited as okay. we very fully book, uh, uh, booked with media. Okay. So that's how to get hold of us. Okay, fantastic. Hey, remember, it's www.infrastructure-africa.com. That's how we wrap it up. It's 11.46 Central African time. Thank you to our guests. Thank you to Duncan Bonnet, who just came into our studios. Thank you for taking that Pleasure. time. Uh, he's the director of Africa House and and that's a specialist Africa-focused consulting firm. Thank you also to Nigel Gwyn-Evans, who is the chief director of the African Industrial uh, Development uh, uh, Department of South Africa's Department of Trade and Industry. Hey, we didn't plan this to happen, but Judy, thank you for coming in and just briefly speaking to us. It was great meeting you finally. And hey, let's move Thanks, on Anna. and get our economics update. Uh, and I think we've got someone standing outside. So let's get them in and get our economics update. But let's get a quick break then, and then we'll come to our business news. Thank you, God. Hi, this is Lira, South African Afro soul singer and songwriter. You're listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, celebrating 20 years of South African freedom and democracy. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Good morning, I'm Wisani Matebula with your Economics News. South African government and business leaders are waiting in bated breath ahead of the pronouncement by Standard & Poor's and the country's sovereign credit ratings on Friday. These are mid-fears that South Africa could be downgraded to a junk status. Just recently, Moody's kept the country's ratings unchanged at two notches above junk status with a negative outlook. Trade and Industry Minister Rob Davis. I think that we have sent a consistent message to the rating agencies and the consistent message has been that the fiscal numbers will hold, that is our commitment as government, uh, that we have uh, programs in government uh, which are already bringing uh, improvements in our economic performance and which are addressing uh, the possibilities of uh, a better growth performance next year than last year. Uh, nonetheless, we have stable institutions, a stable and functioning government in place. So, you know, we, we wait and see uh, how the rating agencies have responded uh, to those messages which, we, which we've given. Anglo-South African financial services firm Old Mutual has proposed the maximum payout for Chief Executive Bruce Hemphill of 1,000% of his 2016 base salary in the firm's managed separation incentive plan. The plan to be voted on at a general meeting following the company's annual general meeting on June 28 replaces the firm's previous remuneration policy. The maximum payout will depend on the achievement of performance targets measured at the earlier of the completion of the managed separation. And Nigeria's trade account has turned negative in the first quarter after exports fell by almost half. This has lower prices for crude oil slashed government revenues and caused the economy to contract. Nigeria, Africa's biggest economy, faces its worst economic crisis in years. 
And the National Agricultural Exports Board has donated five trucks to boost productivity in tea cooperatives. The trucks which were delivered yesterday under the Price Project will benefit tea farmers in the districts of Karongi, Nyamagabe, Nyamasheke, Rutsuro and Nyarugu. The tea division manager in Nayab, Isa Kurunzinza, says that the sport is also part of the strategy to help address identified logistical gaps. And London copper has fallen, taking a hit from a strong U.S. dollar after U.S. consumer spending blew past expectations. Activity in China's manufacturing sector unexpectedly expanded for a straight month in May. A private sector survey also showed that activity at China's factories shrank for a 15th straight month in May as new orders fell. Financial indicators right now, the U.S. dollar trading at 15.75 to the South African rand at 11.09 Botswana Pula and 10.36 Zambian Kwacha. Also trading at 0.68 to the British pound and 0.89 against the euro. Looking now at commodities, gold $1,214. Platinum is at $970 per fine ounce. Brent crude oil is at $49.43 per barrel. And that's your economics news for now. First up in our sports update this hour, it's athletics. American sprint star Justin Gatlin might be used to hogging the limelight, but there's a strong chance he'll be overshadowed at Thursday's Diamond League meet in Rome by one of the strongest ever Kenyan steeplechase lineups. With no less than 50 Olympic, World or European medalists or Diamond League winners at the Golden Gala Pietro Menia, the fifth leg of the 2016 IAAF League, League at Rome Stadio Olimpico will be another stage for fine-tuning ahead of the Rio Olympics in August. He has form in the Italian capital last year tying Maurice Green's record of four wins at the Golden Gala and breaking Usain Bolt's meeting record with 9.75 seconds. Gatlin, the 2004 Olympic champion who was banned for doping between 2006 and 2010, clocked a wind-assisted 9.88 seconds at Eugene last week. And the World Health Organization, WHO, has rejected a call for the Rio Olympic Games to be moved or postponed due to the threat posed by a large outbreak of Zika virus in Brazil. Responding to a call from more than 100 leading scientists, WHO says it would be unethical for the Games to go ahead as scheduled. The United Nations Health Agency says having the Games in Rio as planned would not significantly alter the spread of Zika, which is linked to serious birth defects. Here is Dr. Bruce Aylward, the WHO's Executive Director, Outbreaks and Health Emergencies. Based on a very careful risk assessment and all the information we've gathered so far about this disease, these games should go ahead as planned and we should continue to work to make sure they're as safe as possible. In a public letter posted online on Friday, around 150 leading public health experts, many of them bioethnicists, say the risk of infection from Zika virus is too high for the Games to go ahead safely. The letter was sent to Margaret Chan, the WHO's Director General, and says the Games due to be held in Rio de Janeiro in August should be moved to another location or delayed. 
but the WHO rejected the call, saying Brazil is one of the almost 60 countries and territories where Zika has been detected and that people continue to travel between these countries and territories for a variety of reasons. Right now, we know that over 1 billion people are moving internationally by air every single year. This outbreak has been going on for two years, and we have lots of evidence that this virus has already been moving. Over 60 countries have had evidence of infection with this virus. Many more are finding it in returning travelers and have been for some time, which suggests that this virus is already moving, and efforts to, uh, to ban the movement or, or restrict the movement of half a million people to um, one area, which at that time will have a relatively low level of transmission of Zika, is not going to make a difference to the movement of this virus internationally. On to football news. After 10 hours and 25 minutes flight from Johannesburg to Frankfurt in Germany, plus a further four-hour road trip, the South African senior women's national team Banyana Banyana arrived at their destination Walwijk in the Netherlands. The Sassel-sponsored team is in the European country to face the Netherlands, Orange Lionesses, in two international friendly matches. The matches will be played on the 4th and the 7th of June. Both clashes will be played at the Mandemaika Stadium in Valveig and are part of the preparations for the Rio 2016 Olympic Games starting in August. The Orange Lionesses are ranked 13th in the world, while South Africa is in position 54. And in cricket news, Zimbabwe Cricket Union, ZCU, have asked their coach, Dave Watmore, and captain Hamilton Masakadza just days before the arrival of India for a five-match limited overs tour. ZCU cited the team's poor performance at this year's World 2020 tournament, where they failed to make it out of the preliminary stage. Former Australia Test batsman Watmore, who coached the country of his birth, Sri Lanka, to the World Cup title in 1996, was handed a four-year contract in April last year. He will be replaced on an interim basis by former South Africa's fast bowler, Makaya Ndini. Zimbabwe have also signed former South African all-rounder, Lance Klusner, as a betting coach for two years. Zimbabwe play India in three one-day internationals in Harare, starting on the 11th of June, as well as two 2020 games. And finally, with golf news, the Sunshine Tour will welcome the Middle East and North Africa MENA Golf Tour to South African shores next week when the South to East Challenge is played at Zwarkov Golf Club in Centurion in Pretoria from the 7th to the 9th of July. Making a significant step forward in giving flight to the careers of members of both tours, the trip to South Africa will see the players vie for honors with prize money of $31,000 for each event counting towards the orders of merit of both. Split equally between the two tours, the field for each event will showcase the top professionals and the leading amateurs on the MENA Tours orders of merit taking on their counterparts from the Sunshine Big Easy Tour in a chase for world ranking points. That's your Sport News this hour. Yeah, 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 yeah. You are. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 ye